Good job. I want to begin tonight with um, a little bit of audience participation. Ethan is already into it. I love Ethan. He's always singing. He's always... That's an amen, right? That's what I thought. Okay. Love it when Ethan comes. Um, Yeah, a little audience participation. I want to uh, begin tonight by asking really essentially what is an impossible question. Uh, The more you think about it, the more impossible it is. So I don't want you to think about it. I just want you to let your answer fly, okay? Is that a deal? Yes. All right. What is your favorite thing about God? Faithfulness. Okay. All right. That's a good answer. Yeah. He loves me no matter what I do. Okay. Faithful, yes. He's what? Pardon me? He's not like me. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? He's not like us. Any others? Grace. Amen. Mercy, perfect, perfect. Forgiving. forgiving, source of life, amen, source of life. I mean, there's a lot of things we could say, right? But I wanted to see if you would say the thing I wanted you to say. Well, the thing I would say. Uh, it's an attribute of God that is not often thought of or spoken of. And I would have to say, I, I guess if you push me to the wall, I'd have to start with grace. I think Tom said grace. But I think my second would be, I am Elohim, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ is infinitely mysterious. Amen? I love that about Him. He's infinitely mysterious. How can you not love His infinite Mystery. You know, I'm sure you've heard it said there's one reason that human romance tends to cool over time. Why is that? Well, there could be a number of reasons, obviously. But we exhaust the mystery. We exhaust the mystery, don't we? I mean, when you first meet someone and there's a romantic connection and you can talk and talk and talk for hours, you just can't spend enough time with that person, right? But ultimately, you still love them, but the mystery's gone. It's not like that with God. The mystery's never gone. The romance is never over. Any amens? The romance is never over with Jesus Christ. It's not that way with Him. It will take a billion eternities to exhaust all the infinite mystery of God, which is to say we will never exhaust it. He will always thrill our hearts. There will always be more to discover and rejoice in and be amazed at as we come to know Him throughout a billion eternities. I think the romance analogy is a good one. Some people don't like it with respect to God and His people, but I love it. I think it's the perfect word. A sacred romance between God and His people. An eternal romance with an infinite being. That thrills my soul. And I I think if you think deeply about it, uh, at least for 120 seconds or so, it would would, uh, thrill your soul as well. Jesus Christ fills the human heart with all that the human heart desires. He's the only one who can do that. And He does it with Himself. This is 
an aspect of Christianity that we don't talk about or think about very much. So I love the mystery of God. And of course, theologians had to invent a $2 word to describe it. Anyone know what it is? God is... Ethan knows. God is inscrutable. He just couldn't get all the syllables out. God is inscrutable. I love that uh, $2 theologian phrase. God says, Isaiah chapter 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As far as heaven uh, is above the earth, so my thoughts are above yours. You remember how Paul said it in Romans 11.33, one of my favorite texts in all the Bible. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. I like how the King James translates uh, Romans 11.33. His ways are past finding out. Beloved, there is beautiful, gorgeous, compelling breathtaking mystery in our God. Don't ever try to explain Him fully. Don't ever do that. We can't. Nor after a billion eternities will we be able to. We are finite creatures and He is infinite. We'll never get to the end of this unfathomable, unsearchable, mysterious God. I've told you this before. Uh, Some of you may remember I had a theology professor in... uh, in seminary, and I think he was one of the smartest guys I've ever met. He just had this incredible intellect. He could have made a ton of money in the computer business, but he decided to fall in love with Jesus and become a, a very low-compensated seminary professor. But I can still see him standing at the front of the room with a big smile on his face because, you know, all of us young seminarians, me not so young, but we would ask him questions. You know, all these impossible questions about God that he could not answer. And he would just stand up there and you get this huge smile on his face and we knew what he was going to say. In this kind of awestruck whisper, he'd say, I have no idea. I don't know. Beloved, for a Bible-believing Christian, I don't know is not a confession of ignorance. It's an act of worship when we're talking about God. Yes, God has revealed certain things to us we can know. Amen. Some things we don't know. And you know what His people are supposed to do when they can't answer the question? (laughs) Supposed to say, I don't know. And they're supposed to worship. We're supposed to worship. That's what we're supposed to do, beloved. That's what we're supposed to do. He is infinitely above us. He is infinitely above us. And it should be worship-provoking when we bump up against those things about Him that we cannot explain. It's worship-provoking if we have the right mindset about it. Yes, Jesus is knowable. He's revealed Himself to us. But He is mysterious. I've told you this many times. The Bible is not God's explanation. God does not explain Himself to anyone. But God has graciously revealed Himself that He might redeem a people for His Son. God does not explain Himself to His creatures ever, but He graciously reveals Himself to them. My favorite example, I've said it to you many times, is the Trinity. I run into unbelievers and 
new believers and they want to know about the Trinity. They want me to explain the Trinity. Well, you know what I do? I get a big smile on my face. <laughs> and I say, I have no idea. I think sometimes we bring God down when we try to explain Him. I think we do that a lot. God does not explain the Trinity. Who am I to explain the Trinity? God simply reveals the reality of the Trinity. And so I acknowledge that reality. I don't try to parse it. I don't try to explain it. I just worship at the fact that He is the triune God. How I mean, how can there not be mystery? This is infinite mind revealing uh, truth to what? Finite. Finite mind. How can there not be mystery? So, here's some mystery for you. Was the Bible written by God or by man? The Bible says, yes. <laughs> is Jesus Christ God or is He man? The Bible says, yes. yes. Does God choose man or does man choose God? The Bible says, yes. Is God one or is God three? The Bible says, yes. Beloved, we need to be comfortable in what the Bible tells us. We need to stand there. We don't need to speculate. I mean, it can be harmless, I, I guess, to speculate to some degree, but I think many times, particularly with the person of God, we bring Him down. We bring Him down many times as we try to explain His being. So tonight, as we look at our text, we are confronted with another good question. Is salvation and sanctification all of God or is man active in it? What does the Bible say? Yes! It's all of God. Yes! And man is active in it. Yes. This is the truth of the Word of God. Just by way of review, Paul has been telling the Philippians in chapter 1, he's okay, he's in jail, he's in prison, but yeah, they may chop his head off any day, but his joy in Christ is undiminished. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that uh, he sums up the profound reality of being a Christian in Philippians 1.21. Uh, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is to be used by my awesome God. To die is to be with my awesome God. That's the job description of a Christian right there as succinctly as it can be stated. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If you ever get confused, just remember, your job as a follower of Christ, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Basta. That's it. That's it. Then Paul challenged us last week. We saw uh, that, well, not, it wasn't last week. It was two weeks ago. He said to, uh, he called us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit, striving together with one mind, fearlessly living out our faith, knowing that it has been granted to us to suffer for Christ's sake. That's chapter 127 and following. Last week, Paul said the only way you can really do that, the only way you can really live in a manner worthy of the Gospel is to have the mind of Christ. You remember that great text we talked about. He says, have this attitude which was in Christ. And we looked at that text about the infinite condescension of the Lord Jesus. Unconditional humility. Paul says you've got to live in a manner worthy of the Gospel. This is how you do it. You have to have the mind of Christ. You have to have the attitude 
of Christ. So that brings us up to our verse tonight, Philippians 2, 12-13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always uh, obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Paul says, So then, so then what? Paul simply drawing a conclusion from the verses that precede verse 12. He's saying, since Christ modeled this perfect submission and obedience, have this same attitude. Have this same attitude. Walk in all humility, obeying your awesome God. Paul, notice that Paul says, not just because I'm there with you, not as a, a man pleaser, not just because I'm there with you. It made me think of the, the words that Paul wrote to the, the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 8. Listen to me just for a moment. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Real Christians, we're not into pleasing men. It's nice if we can please men. But we're not really into that. We're into pleasing our awesome God. Amen? Amen. And Paul say, hey, whether I'm there or not, uh, walk in obedience. This is what he's saying to them. They weren't men-pleasers. Man, they, were, they not only obeyed when he was there, they're obeying in his absence. In his absence. Why do we obey as Christians? You guys know the great text. <laughs> is it John 14? Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, this is why Christians do what they do. We're not, religious. We're not religious people in the sense that the world talks about it. We're not checking our boxes trying to earn something from some deity. That's not how it works in Christ real Christianity. That's not how it works. We love Him. We are in relationship with Him as someone said in the young adult class. The thing that sets Christianity apart from all the other world religions is it's relational. It's relational. And so, out of love, we obey Him. And I think this is part of Paul's exhortation here. So the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write something that gets a lot of Protestants in a knot. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, pseudo-Christian denominations love to abuse this text. They love to make Christianity a works system. It is not a works system. So how do we understand what Paul is saying to us here. I want to say this. You guys know this. We talked about it um, quite a bit when we were going through Colossians. We are saved by... I hope someone can tell me. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There it is. There's the biblical message of salvation. That's the biblical message. So I want to make sure we, we all understand that. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to us when He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? You know, every time you open your Bible, 
It's, Im it's imperative that we rightly divide the Word. Amen? I mean, you've got people all over the world running around uh, on tangents because they have not taken the time to rightly divide the Word and listen to the Spirit of God. So, it's our uh, responsibility to handle accurately the Word of truth. Satan has sought to per pervert every single truth in the Bible. You know this, right, beloved? He has sought to pervert every single one of them. And there's always a ditch on either side of the Word of God that's been rightly divided. There's a ditch on the left and a ditch on the right. you got people falling in this ditch and you have people falling in the other ditch. Such has been the historical case regarding salvation and sanctification. Some have erroneously said that in salvation and sanctification, man is the determining, deciding force. That's one ditch. Some have, others have erroneously said that salvation and sanctification, man is completely passive. Obviously, that's the other ditch. So what is Paul saying to us? If we read verse 12, it appears Paul's in the first ditch. If we read verse 13, it appears he's in the second ditch. If we read the whole text, we find out that Paul has rightly divided the Word of God as the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write it. So salvation and sanctification are all of God, are, is all of God, but all of man is involved. This is the rightly divided biblical answer regarding... Philippians 2, 12, and 13. I love the way John MacArthur said it. I'm going to quote him about three times. His commentary on this text is excellent. I would commend it to you. He says, regarding salvation and sanctification, it's all of God. And he says, and it's all of us. And this is what he means. MacArthur is saying it is all of God, and he's saying it will involve all of you. Every part of your being is impacted by the miracle that God does, the supernatural miracle. If we're born again, it's a miraculous supernatural act of God. If, and if we're born again, every, every uh, part of our being will be caught up in that reality. It's all of God, beloved, and it involves all of you. I think that's, I think that's Philippians 2, 12, and 13, rightly. Divided. This is an Old Testament concept. You may remember 1 Kings 8. Solomon was dedicating the temple and he prays, May the Lord our God incline our hearts to Himself to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments. It sounds like Solomon's in the second ditch. But then Solomon continues and he prays a little bit later in chapter 8 and he says, Let your heart therefore, he's talking to the people, let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in His statutes and to keep His commandments. Now it sounds like he's in the other ditch. No, Solomon is saying both truths. Both of these things are true. It's all of God and it will involve all of you. This is the Word of God. Rightly divided. Is sanctification something God is doing or something we are doing? Yes. Yes. It is something God is doing within us. And we are called to cooperate. We are called to cooperate in that process of sanctification. Look at verse 12 and 13 again. 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, I must quote John MacArthur to give him credit. He says the Christian must work out what God has worked in. I love that. The Christian must work out your responsibility, your job description, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, is let, we talked about it in young adult Bible study Thursday night, if it's real with us, if we're really born again, what's going to happen? It's all going to spill out into our life, right? It's all going to spill out. It's all going to spill out. The Christian must work out what God has worked in. The Christian is never passive in salvation. He's never passive in sanctification. Christianity is anything but passive. We've talked about it many times. That's an oxymoron. Lukewarm passive Christianity is an oxymoron. It's simply an oxymoron and Jesus Christ hates it. We know how Jesus Christ feels about it. If we're just playing religion with Christ, we know how He feels about it. He hates it. He hates it. It's the antithesis of New Testament Christianity. Paul told Timothy to lay hold. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you've been called. Lay hold of it! The apostle told Timothy... The Christian is called and commanded to work out what God has worked in. This is not salvation by works. This is salvation by grace through faith being manifested in the life. Sarah Grove said it perfectly. Something changed inside me, broke wide open, and all spilled out. If it's real, beloved, it will be spilling out into your life. You will be working uh, out what God has worked in. Let me ask you. I'll just stop and ask you a personal question. Is that happening in your life? What God has worked in, are you letting it flow out? This is biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity. It's all of God. It's all of you. It's Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. It's all of God. It's all of you. And I want to say it again. We're not saved by works. We're Protestants. We get that. We're not saved by works. And I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 8 9, uh, uh, 8 and 9 for you. Uh, just so, yeah, just so I have it in the sermon. You understand? I'm not preaching works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no man should boast. We're not preaching works. But God has made it clear all the way through the New Testament. If you have average comprehension skills, you cannot miss the fact that God is calling us to work out what He has worked in. No lukewarm passive Christianity. No. No. Not according to the Word of God. I've got to quote uh, MacArthur again. Uh, I promise I'll get paid for this. But he said it, he said it so well. He says the Spirit of God's not saying we must work for it or we must work at it or that we must work it up. He says we must work it out. I think that's, to me, very crystal clear. It needs to be flowing out. If the miracle happened, if the God-begotten, God-supernatural uh, uh, miracle of God being born again, if that has happened, if we are new creatures, old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. We are supposed to work out what God has worked 
In James chapter 2, faith without works, some young adult tell me, faith without works, what? It's dead. It's useless. It's comparable to demon faith, is what James says. Oh, you believe God is one? Oh, you're orthodox? That's great. The demons believe that. And they tremble. And they tremble. This is all I think the Lord is saying to us tonight. You remember 2 Peter chapter 1. Listen to Peter. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. God's done it. Then, then, then Peter turns around and says, apply it. All diligence in your faith, moral excellence, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. It's all of God. It's all of you. It's all of God. It requires all of you in response. I just think that's clear. I just think it's clear. There are three dimensions to biblical faith. We were saved at some point. We are presently being saved as God continues to conform us into the image of His Son and we will ultimately be saved as we see Him and become like Him. And we receive our resurrected, glorified bodies as we are made perfect. There are those dimensions there, some say, and I tend to agree. It's what the Holy Spirit is saying in Romans 13.11 when He says, For now your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. I love that. So, does God sovereignly hold the believer secure in His hand? Or must the Christian persevere working out what God has worked in? What's the answer? Yes! yes. This is what Paul is saying. We don't have to get in a knot about this. Hey, if we'll just study the Bible. Yes, I'm acknowledging mystery many times in Scripture, but there's no mystery here. Well, let me say this. We can, there may be a little mystery here. Because I, I, I can't really parse, you know, all that God does and all that we do. And, and I, I can't break all that out. I can't explain that to you. I can't uh, yeah, break all that out to you. So that, that part's a mystery. But we know it's all God. We know it involves all of us. The answer is yes. There are many Scriptures I could share with you, but just for the sake of time, I'll only give you two. I'll just use the words of Jesus in both examples. Jesus says, My Father has given My sheep to Me and no one can snatch them out of My hand or My Father's hand. John 10, 28 and 29. But Jesus also said this, The one who endures to the end, he is the one that shall be saved. Matthew 24, 13. I could multiply verses on both sides there for you. We simply don't have time. So, is God electing us, holding us, sanctifying us, and keeping us? The Bible says... Yes. And are we called to repent, believe, uh, uh, re believe, place our faith in Jesus, persevere to the end to be saved? The Bible says, yes. This is all that the Holy Spirit is saying to us. In Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, while God is doing His sovereign work in the hearts of His people, He is calling us to radically believe, trust, and obey Him. You guys know... In Revelation, if you've read Revelation, at least nine times, God says we must persevere and overcome. God tells us that. God exhorts us. I'll give you a couple examples. Revelation 2.7 The overcomer will eat of the tree of life. Revelation 2.11 The overcomer will not be hurt by the second death. 
Revelation 2.17, the overcomer will receive the hidden manna. Revelation 2.26, the overcomer will be given authority over the nations. Revelation 2.28, the overcomer will receive the morning star. Revelation 3.5, the overcomer will not have his name erased from the book of life. Revelation 3.12, the overcomer will be a pillar in the temple of God. Revelation 3.21, the overcomer will, uh, Jesus will grant for him to sit with him. Revelation 21.7, the overcomer shall inherit the kingdom prepared for God's children. These are breathtaking promises. These promises are for the one who is working out what God has worked in. It's all the way through the New Testament. You know, I was telling Karen this week, I said you can't really study the New Testament and not come away with the firm conviction that God is calling every one of us to a radical lifestyle of faith. A radical lifestyle of faith. And beloved, it, as you may know, and you may have experienced it, Christianity has devolved into the lowest common denominator in so many places in the world. It's biblically unrecognizable in most places. Let me say this, in many places. Jesus is calling us to radical obedience. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Again, I'm not calling you to perfection. Jesus doesn't call us to perfection. Well, He exhorts us to perfection. But none of us are going to get there until we see Him. None of us are going to get there. But beloved, that should be your direction. That should be your direction. Every day, radically surrendering your life to the Lord. We saw it in Philippians 1.6. God says, I will complete the good work I've begun in you. That's God's sovereignty. We'll see it in Philippians 3.12. Paul says, I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Man's responsibility. It's all over the Bible. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. You say, Jim, that causes tension. and pa That's a paradox to me. Well, the Bible says God is sovereign and man is responsible. Yes. That's what God says. That's what God says says the Bible is full of beautiful, mysterious balance and tension in this regard. When it comes to salvation and sanctification, God is sovereign and man is responsible. So let me talk just a moment about this fear and trembling thing. I want to make sure we understand that. We know what the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is great wisdom in having a healthy fear of God. A reverential awe of God. It's the same kind of fear a child will have uh, of offending and disobeying a loving parent. The child knows there are consequences to disobedience. The analogy is, holds true there. In fact, God uses that analogy in Hebrews 12, 7, 8. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom uh, his father does not discipline? Those without discipline are illegitimate children and not sons. There's another aspect to this fear here that I think should motivate us. If we know ourselves, we should fear our own weaknesses and the temptations that drag us so easily into sin. We should have some healthy fear based on our own weaknesses. 
And stay away from those things that pull us into temptation. We have a healthy fear uh, and, and we want to be on guard against sinning. We don't want to offend the Father. We don't want to grieve the Spirit. We don't want to lose our joy. We don't want to lose our testimony in the world. And we don't want to negate effective ministry in the body. That's another very legitimate thing I think Paul's talking about here. We should fear the consequences of sin, which we are also prone to engage in. So I guess tonight, beloved, the question is, are we proactively working out what God has worked in? That's my question for you tonight. Are you working out what God has worked in? What is God calling you to do tonight? I'm going to ask you a few questions. What habit does God want you to break? What attitude does God want you to change? What act of radical faith does God want you to stop procrastinating on and just do? What sin does God want you to forsake for good? What obedience is He exhorting you to tonight? What relationship does He want you to mend? What ministry does He want you to do in this body? Or the next body that you go to? What wrong does He want you to make right? Beloved, this is all part of working out what God has worked in. It's the Word of God. And I'm just going to close with the Apostle Paul here. You know, we're going to get over there uh, real soon over in Philippians chapter 3 sometime after the first of the year. And you know, Paul says, man, I love Christ. He says, man, I, I just want to know Him more. This is his confession. I just want to know Him more, he says. But then he says this, So, I press on. Beloved, are you pressing on? It's part of being a Christian. No such thing as passive Christianity. No such thing as lukewarm Christianity. Paul says, I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. You are called, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, beloved, to work out what God has worked in. This is the Spirit's message to His people tonight. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. You're such a faithful God as we heard said earlier. Such a good Father. Always exhorting Your children to a higher and lofty place. Thank You, Lord, that You love us like this. Thank You that You won't leave us to ourselves. Thank You that You've promised to complete the good work You've begun in us. Thank You, Father. I praise You for that. I know I wouldn't complete it if it weren't for You. So we praise You, Father, that You're sovereign in our lives. You're at work in our lives. And You'll complete that good work. We thank You, Father. But Father, we want to hear that, that exhortation and that call and that challenge and that command that we would be busy working out what You are working in. That we would be cooperating in our sanctification. 
That we'd be men and women doing works in the world and in the church. We don't want to have dead faith. We don't want to have useless faith. So Father, thank You for this high call. And I'm sure there's some of us in here tonight who have some work to do with You. And I pray, Father, You would help us to find the courage and the faith to change the things You're talking to us about tonight. That the Spirit of God could flow more freely through us as Your Word has indicated is Your desire. So great and awesome, God, we thank You. Thank You for this exhortation. Thank You that You love us. Thank You that You continue to to call us forward. We pray all this in the beautiful and matchless name of our awesome Lord uh, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.